Um, so thank you guys for being here tonight, and uh, thank you for getting out of cleaning the walls in my boys' bedroom. Um, that's what I was doing before I left uh, this afternoon. Uh, we're, we're putting our house on the market uh, because um, I'm not really sure why. Actually, I do know why. That's not true. We, uh, the, the, the market is crazy right now, and we're in a unique situation where we're like, we have a lot of equity in our home, so much so that we can actually, we're one of the few people it looks like can get what we need if we find the right thing. And we found this house that we wanted, and we're making an offer on it. But we haven't put our house on the market yet, so we were like, well, that's happening Wednesday, so there's a lot that's going on at my house today and tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday. And uh, yeah, and so, uh, so we shall see how that goes. So I was literally uh, using a magic eraser. Um, th- there's only two rooms in our entire house that haven't been painted in the last, like, year. And one of them is my son's, and I sure wish we'd have done it because, boy, I mean, they play basketball in there and everything else. And so I was going to town with a magic eraser. Preaching is a whole lot more fun than that. So thank you guys for being here tonight <laughs> and asking me to come back tonight. Um, so I'm going to be with you guys tonight, uh, next Sunday morning, and then next Sunday night as well. And um, that's, that's the longest the George Baptist Mission Board, I think, allows us to preach at one place in a consecutive amount of time. And so then, uh, you know, i got to go back to my, my, my real job, per se. But, um, but uh, I, I, do, uh, I, I do, well, I'm just thankful for the opportunity to be with you guys again. And what I want to do is this. Um, I want to use these three uh, uh, services, if I can, uh, just to... Look, it's a Sunday night, like it's, it's, it's family on a Sunday night, you know what I'm saying? Like it's like, right, that's kind of how it works. And so I'm going to be real open tonight, if I can be, if that's okay. And I want to help you guys as much as I possibly can. I, I know y'all are in a transitional period of time. Um, I, I know that, that you've got a pastor search team, there's a lot going on and all these kind of things. Um, I know that your church is a church in which... You know, you guys have been a staple in this community, but it's also the reality is that the community has changed, right? I mean, I, I think we can, we can all, all admit that. And so, um, so I just, I just want to be, if you guys are okay with it for these next three services, I, I want to I see what we can do. I want to help you guys as much as I can over these next three weeks, and, and, uh, and, or next three, I'm sorry, services, the next two weeks. And so tonight, what I want us to do is look in Acts uh, chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, uh, beginning in verse 19, and uh, we're going to go uh, really down through verse 26, really, tonight. And uh, as, as we do that, I, I want to talk about tonight five keys to an effective church. Five keys to an effective church. Uh, here's the truth of the matter. I think we overcomplicate church a lot. I do. Uh, and I think as Southern Baptists, we really overcomplicate church a lot. Right, whether it's on the national level, state level, associational level, or even in the local church. Um, and, and, and the reality is, is that we have some really good examples in Scripture of how the early church functioned and, and what they prioritized and, and what they did well. And, and there, I think there's a lot that we can learn from in that. I, I really do. And, and uh, I, I'll tell you, uh, this particular passage that I'm coming out of tonight... Um, we were planting a church, uh, in, or we are planting a church, uh, in Takanah, Guatemala. Uh, I was the missions guy as well as the student and college guy at Beach Haven before I went to work for the George Baptist Mission Board as the campus minister at UGA. And uh, one of the last things that, that I did there was help to, to plant a church in Takanah, Guatemala, up in the mountains, about 45 minutes from Mexico, along uh, the, uh, the, the 
human and drug trafficking route that runs through Guatemala into Mexico. And uh, we had a, a, a young lady in our church who had been a member of our church where she moved off. And uh, she had uh, worked with an organization who tracked down human traffickers and made sure that they were actually brought to justice. And we told her where we were planning a church. And she said, where? <laughs> you know, it was one of those kind of things, right? But anyways, this passage of scripture, uh, the first time I had the opportunity to speak to that church. And by the way, pray for the church planner that there, that's there, if you will. His name is Alejandro Zacharias. And uh, Alejandro is uh, battling COVID right now. Uh, his family had gotten it previously, uh, and he did not. And he's got diabetes. He's a young guy, healthy guy, but he's got, he has diabetes. And uh, so he's, he's been struggling this week. And um, his family had moved from about an hour away to Takanah. And uh, to be honest with you, we need him there. Um, that, that church is, is just in its infancy. And, uh, and he's a great man. And they've, they've grown. During COVID, they grew from literally his family to about 50 people during COVID when they weren't actually supposed to be gathering together. And so it's a really neat story. Uh, but if you guys remember Alejandro Zacharias in your prayers. But anyways, this right here rings true, not just in Acts chapter 11, uh, where the New Testament church was, was being really founded and it was burgeoning there in, in the city of Antioch, uh, but, but also in Athens, Georgia, but also in Takanagua, Guatemala. This is a universal passage is what I'm saying. Like this, this really gives us some principles of what was taking place in the early church that we can apply to us today. So with that in mind, what I want to do is just go ahead and begin reading in verse 19 of Acts chapter 11. I'll read down through about verse 26, and then we're going to look at the five keys to an effective church. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year there, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Let's pray tonight. Lord, thank you so much for uh, just giving us your word. And Lord, thank you that in your word, Lord, uh, we, don't only, not, we don't only find the, the story of, of, of Lord, uh, you and your, your birth and your, your life and the miracles you performed and, and the, the teachings that you gave and, and uh, your, your death and your resurrection. And, and we don't only find those things and we don't only find, Lord, uh, our way to salvation, but Lord, we also find some very practical truths when it comes to how to do ministry. And so, Lord, help us tonight to look back to this church at Antioch, the place they were first called Christians, and help us to see some principles of what was going on there and apply them to us tonight. Lord, we ask you to bless this time that we're together. And Lord, we do pray, as I mentioned earlier, for Pastor Alejandro in Takanah. Lord, we pray that you, Lord, as yesterday his, his sugar was through the roof, Lord, we pray that you'll just uh, give him a good evening tonight, a good day tomorrow, and that you'll just be with those doctors there, uh, Lord, uh, and the, the medical care that they have there, that, that honestly, that it will perform above the means that they have, Lord, as they take care of him. 
So, Lord, we love you and we praise you. Bless this time tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. So, uh, here's the deal. There's five keys to an effective church that we see here tonight, and we're just going to jump right into them. The first one that we see in this passage of Scripture is that an effective church must expect the unexpected. An effective church must expect the unexpected. Now, in this passage of Scripture, we see ultimately that there are unexpected people and unexpected places that are, that, that are occurring in this, in this story, in this passage of Scripture. If you go back to chapter 10 and you really read down from verse 11 down through verse 18, uh, you'll find here that this is where we, we see the gospel being given to the Gentiles, right? It's like, hey, it's okay for the gospel to be given to the Gentiles. And so when we, we look at chapter 10 and, and when we look at chapter 11 where Peter's reporting back to Jerusalem, we see that, that the gospel is for a different group of people than what it was primarily expected to be for. And even here in chapter 11 and verse 19, if you notice there, it says that originally they were speaking to no one except the Jews alone. And then it says, but some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch, they began speaking to the Greeks also preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here we have in Antioch an unexpected people that are hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Gentiles, who just a chapter earlier, it's really fully explained on that they're going to hear the gospel as well. Now, I understand that I get it. You can go all the way back to the Old Testament and realize that the gospel is going to be for everybody. And, and there's, there's, you know, there's, there's those little uh, Easter eggs, as you want to say, throughout Scripture of, oh, clearly the gospel is going to be for everybody. But the reality here is we've just had it completely unveiled that that's the case. And, and we find in chapter 11, verse 19, that even as the gospel was being spread, originally it was just to the Jews. But now it's to an unexpected people. It's also to the Gentiles. The, the, uh, the best way to put it is, is, is that ultimately the, the crowd that they were speaking to had changed, right? Uh, you gotta, sometimes when you're speaking, you got to know your crowd. You, you understand what I'm saying? Like you got to know the context you're in, right? I mean, when I speak uh, to a bunch of college students, uh, well, this isn't, actually, I, I better clarify that. I, I'm, I'm kind of a one-trick pony, I guess, honestly. I, I usually uh, just get really high energy and talk real fast and get real loud. But uh, I usually at least dress a little different. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I really do. Um, you got to know your crowd a little bit. And, and I do know, like, if I'm speaking to children or if I'm speaking to teenagers, a lot of times I'll shorten what I do and I'll, I'll be a little more simple with what I'm doing. Uh, and, and, and the reality is that sometimes you got to read your crowd as you're going, right? Like, you can tell when somebody's with you. I was speaking to somebody the other day about when I preached here before, and I was like, man, they were with me. Like, you could tell that they were just, like, you guys were with me. And, and so you got to know that. And, and so the reality here is, is that it's important to know the people that you're dealing with, but the reality is, is that they're not always going to be what you expect. And the truth of the matter is, is that the way God works is, the people you're ministering to, it always changes. It always changes. It really does. It always changes. But not only that, but man, this is an unexpected place. It, it, it is. Antioch is a wicked place. It's a place that's full of sin. Isn't it interesting that the, the Bible tells us the first place that they're called Christians is, is a group of people where the gospel was being spread to Gentiles in a city that was known for its wickedness and its sin. When, when you read what was happening here at Antioch, the, the truth of the matter is, is that, I, I, you know, if you could go back and ask some of these guys in Jerusalem when the church first just started exploding and said, hey, do you think, you know, 2,000 years from now, Christians are going to know that it was Antioch where they were first called Christians? I'm sure there would have been some of them that said, no, nah, not that place. Right? Now, there's too many Gentiles over there. Right? 
But yet this is where God chooses to do an amazing work. See, here's the deal. Not only do we have to realize that God works among unexpected people and in unexpected places, but the reality is, is that God can always do more than we could ever imagine. He can. He can. I don't want to steal too much thunder from what I'm going to share on Sunday morning, but guys, remember, I mean, when, when the day of Pentecost occurs, right, there weren't a whole lot of people. Now, there were a lot of people there, but there weren't a lot of Christians to begin with, right? Like, the followers of Jesus at that point, like, they had dwindled, and, you know, they're hiding, and, like, then they're waiting, and they're praying, right? And, and yet, God uses them in a miraculous way. He, he, he sends the Holy Spirit down, and boom, we know the rest of the story, right? I mean, what's crazy is, even in this story, you talk about God working in unexpected ways and doing more than we could ever imagine, Notice how this story starts in verse 19. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen. That's God moving in an unexpected way, isn't it? Here's Stephen, right? Gets stoned, gets killed, right? Saul is there, right? And it's through the persecution that was occurring and through the death of Stephen. I mean, if you start reading the, the book of Acts, when you start reading the book of Acts, you realize that, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those, those moments where it's like Stephen gets killed and all of a sudden, not that there wasn't, perse not that there wasn't uh, persecution going on already and not that, that, that Christians are, weren't already leaving because they were, right? But that, that's like putting a, a, a match to it. It's like, boom, you want, a catalyst? you want a catalyst for evangelism? We'll go stone Stephen. You know? But God can do more than we could ever imagine. And so we have to be willing to expect the unexpected. Now, now let's, let's just be, be real for just a second if we can. I, I mentioned earlier that uh, you guys are in a unique situation. You really are. Um, Forest Heights is, is a church that, that has a, a strong legacy. I, I, was, I was texting my realtor over there and, uh, before the service because uh, we we're trying to finalize numbers or whatever. And uh, I said, hey, I'm not going to bug you for another hour because I'm about to preach at Forest Heights. And she says, oh, that's where my mom went for, you know, since the 1950s. And I was like, really? And she was like, yeah. Hold on, I t well, I turned my phone off. Kathy Kinney is my realtor. Y'all know, know her last name, Bridges, right? Yeah, 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 right? And so I was like, oh, really? That's awesome. And, and so you guys have a legacy here, right? I mean, people know there's, there's certain churches in Athens when you hear names, you go, oh, yeah, I know where that place is, right? I mean, there really are. And hey, here's the crazy thing. Honestly, inside of, this, this is really crazy. It's, it's sad in some ways, but, but it's really crazy too when you think about it inside the perimeter there's not a lot of strong bible believing churches left there's not there's really not and, and so with that said we also have to be honest though and and, and i just went through it being on staff at beach haven so i get it i promise you Places change, people's, people change, 
things change. And when places change and people change, and you end up in a place where you're doing ministry to, I want to make sure I say this right. You end up doing ministry in a context that you weren't doing ministry in 25 to 30 to 40 to 50 years previously. Then the reality is, is the way you do ministry has to change. It does. And sometimes that's painful. Matter of fact, most of the time it is. Most of the time, there's a grieving process that you go through when that happens. It really is. Sometimes folks can't stick it out. I mean, that's what happens. And it's hard. Guys, I can tell you right now, as a, as a campus minister at the University of Georgia, I mean, I grew up, like, well, you know, music is always one everybody fusses about, right? So we'll, we'll, we'll go there for a minute, right? Like, I grew up, my dad made me sing Southern Gospel when I was little. Like, he made me, all right? I mean, he did. Like, all of them. Because his, his parents did the whole Southern Gospel thing, and he did the whole Southern Gospel thing, and, 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 and still does the Southern Gospel thing, which is kind of funny, because, like, he's 61 years old. He, he looks older than 61 years old. He's fully white-haired. He's five foot five. He says he's five foot five wide as well, which is pretty close. And, um, and uh, he would rather wear like a three-piece suit and a tie and like sing some Southern Gospel. And his church, like you walk in there and you're like, what is happening? Like this guy's preaching right here? What is going on? Like you understand, like it's, it's the context is crazy. It's nuts. And they have a lot of senior adults in the room too, which is really crazy. Now, what he does is, is they have like a Wednesday night service. Well, they used to. Right now they're not because of COVID. But they had like a Wednesday night service deal. And, man, they rocked it out with some of the gospel on those Wednesday nights. You know what I'm saying? Like, he had to scratch his itch, right? But, like, like he recognized that, like, the context kind of changed, right? And, like, and, and the reality is I actually love Southern gospel. And I love country music because usually if you love Southern gospel, you end up loving country music. They're kind of close in some ways, right? But, like, if I rolled up to the BCM and was like, hey, guess what we're going to do? Everybody get out your fiddles and everybody, you know, y'all know what I'm saying? Like, hey, who's got a banjo they can play? Like, here's what we're going to do. We're going Southern Gospel. And, hey, we're going to even go bluegrass. That's what we're going to do, right? Dude, I wouldn't have a college kid come. Like, I may have, like, 20 that show up. But the, the problem is, is the 20 that showed up were probably going to be the 20 that got raised on Southern Gospel. So they probably grew up their whole life in church. Y'all know what I'm saying? Right? Well, then who am I going to reach with the Gospel? I mean, we're going to feel good about it. Y'all know what I mean? Like, we're going to have a good time. And we're gonna, it's going gonna, it's gonna to bless our hearts. I mean, you know, like, it really is. Right? But, so, so the context matters. And that's hard sometimes. But here's the key. The key is, is what we just read, and that is, is that God can always do more than we could ever imagine. And God uses unexpected places and unexpected people to do unexpected things. And so if we can trust that, then what happens is, is it allows us to, when a church is in the midst of a transition, when a church is trying to figure out kind of what its identity is, when a church is in a place where community has changed, where a church is in a place where the context that they're doing ministry has changed, it, it, it gives us this comfort and this peace to allow us to then at least hold some things with an open hand. And say, all right, God, I'm going to trust you. I, I'm going I'm to 
I'm going to do the best I can, and I'm going to hold this with an open hand. And I know there's going to be times where I'm going to be like, no, yep, I got to, you know. And here's what you'll find out. This is what you'll find out. What you'll find out is some things God will say, yeah, we could do this a little better over here with this way, right? And other things God's going to be like, no, that's, that's, that's part of your DNA of who you are. Just, just keep plugging up. You get what I'm saying? Right? So expect the unexpected. Secondly, enlist Christians for the work. Check out verse 22. Verse 22. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. And then notice what it says in verse 25. It says that uh, he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. So Barnabas, you know, leaves, he goes to look for Saul. He found him, and he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. All right, I I told the church in Takana, when when I was meeting with them, I said, uh, Pastor Alejandro can't do this all alone. And man, I I tell you, the the one thing that they they struggle with down there is is male leadership. And the main reason is, is because a lot of your strong males in Takana are actually in the United States working. And they're sending money back to take care of their wives and their children and to build homes, etc. And that's, that's what's happening. And most of the men that are still in Takana, honestly, are alcoholics. Most of them are. So Pastor Alejandro's got this church with 50 people that are members of it, right? And, and uh, he's got one guy that I told him, I said, that's your chairman of deacons. It, that doesn't translate real well into Spanish. They, their, their church, um, their church uh, structure doesn't always equate to what we do you understand what i'm saying right like and so so i said you know that's your chairman in the u.s we call that your chairman of deacons you just don't know it yet you know like he's got this way he's strong he's he he shares the gospel door to door he's an awesome guy came out of catholic church and just understands man how much that community needs jesus and then he's got a couple young guys um that, that that's got some significant potential and he's got the chief of the fire department and the chief of the, the, the fire department loves Jesus. I'm talking about loves Jesus. And he loves Alejandro. And he loves the church. And he loves the community. But he has a drinking problem. And he'll do really good for a couple weeks. And they'll fall off the wagon. And then he'll do really good for a couple weeks. And they'll fall off the wagon. You understand what I'm saying? Right? And so I told this church, I said, guys, look, Alejandro can't do this alone. Like, he can't. And, and, and the reality is, is that sometimes in a situation like that, especially in that context of ministry, if you've got a real strong pastor, particularly in that Latin American culture, if you're not careful, it'll be viewed as if he can do it alone. And he'll end up being the only strong male leader in the entire church, and then you'll end up with a lot of female leaders who take these roles because there's these voids other places, and that ends up in a lot of ways creating some unhealthy churches. And so one of the things that we're trying to do is to mobilize more men in particular but, and more spiritual leaders to come alongside Alejandro to help. Because you can't do it alone. Because if you start trying to do it alone, what happens is, is you reach a point where you go, I've been doing this all by myself for years and years and years and years and I am dead tired. And I'm done. I'm done. And Barnabas knew that. So Barnabas went and got Saul, right? 
right? And what's awesome is, is the folks in Jerusalem heard about what was happening in Antioch. And so they were like, boy, we need to figure out what's going on over there. So they go check out what's going on, right, to see if they need to provide some help. And then in the midst of that, we're like, well, yeah, they need some help. And so he goes back and he gets Saul and then Saul and them come back. And what do they do? They begin to teach, right? They begin to mobilize. They begin to equip. Because ultimately, churches need help. It can't just be a guy standing behind a pulpit. It can't just be the the same two or three guys that have done everything for their entire life. The truth of the matter is, is that the church needed help, so Jerusalem sent Barnabas. Barnabas needed help, so he enlisted Paul. And when you see a church that's effective, what you see is this. Is you see a group of people who recognize that that, that we can't be these long-ranger Christians, right? They they recognize that ultimately what happens is, is not just that I get my little area of ministry over here that I get in charge of, and so I start doing my little thing, and I get in my little silo over here, and then somebody else gets in their little silo over here, and then somebody else gets in their little silo over here, and then somebody else gets in their little silo over here, because what will happen is, is that's the way you do ministry is this. As long as you feel empowered in your little silo, and as long as you are not burned out, you'll be doing really well in your little silo of ministry. You get what I'm saying? Right? But what happens is, is if you're not constantly finding others and working all together for a common good and a common purpose and a common goal, what happens is, is you reach some point where you go, man, I can't do this anymore. And you either keep doing it out of a place of, like, well, nobody else will do it, so I guess I will. You know what I mean? Right? We all been there, right? Yeah. Or what happens is you go, man, Look, I've done this for 30 years. I can't do this anymore. It's time for somebody else to take over. And then you look around and you go, oh, shoot. I didn't equip anybody else to take over. I never went and got a Saul. I never got a Jerusalem to send me a Barnabas. You see what I'm saying? It's one of the culture changes that we're trying to uh, uh, create at, at the BCM. Because, you know, man, you get those students for four years, maybe five years if they want an extra football season, right? You know what I'm saying? Okay, and, and so here's what happens. What happens is, is, I mean, you may have a particular area of ministry that's really good for like two or three years. Because you've got some student that is passionate about that area. But if you don't get them to understand that you got to enlist Christians to help you work, what will happen is, is they'll graduate And it'll be a great story that they tell, you know, 15, 20 years later when they see one of their old BCM buddies. And then they'll run into campus minister and the campus minister will be like, oh, that's, yeah, that's cool. We don't have that anymore. You get what I'm saying? You got to have people come alongside and work. Expect the unexpected. Enlist Christians for the work. Hey, here's the thing. We know the 80-20 rule, right? We've been throwing that around. I've heard that since I was like four years old. Right? 80% of the people do 20% of the work. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Right? 80% of the people give 20% of the money. 20% of the people give 80% of the money. That's how it works. Right? (laughs) I heard that. That's good. See, on a Sunday night, we can talk like this. This is good. No, I'm just kidding. But hey, but now here's the reality of it, though. When you get a church that breaks that, you know, you don't have to accept that percentage is what I'm saying. You don't. It's hard, but you don't. 
So expect the unexpected, enlist Christians for the work, and then third, encourage the believers. And that, that, that kind of falls right in here with this enlisting Christians for the work, because the bottom line is, if you want them to stick around, you've got to encourage them. That's what we're about anyway, right? Edification, right? Verse 23 and 24, check out what it says. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Now we know that's talking about Barnabas. I mean, he is the son of encouragement. Obviously, he's going to encourage everybody, right? Of course he is. But that's what we're all called to do. Right? Like, we really are. So how do we do that? Well, Barnabas does it through his words, verse 23. I mean, it says he encouraged them. But he also does it uh, through, through actions there in verse 24. It talks about that he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit. And if you notice, through his words and the example that he sets... He's then encouraging them to do the same when he says to them to be resolute or to have a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. So, so here's what happens. When we, you want consistent church members, then you need consistent believers, right? Right? And what we, we find here, and, and, and look, and if we're not careful, like, it, we always walk this line. you got to think about it, like as, especially if you're in a position of leadership in a, in, a, in a local church. And I've been there, done it, bought the T-shirt, right? Like you walk this line where it's like, okay, man, I'm, I'm encouraging people to be consistent in their faith, and I'm trying to be consistent in my, in my faith. But if I'm not careful, what happens is, is I'll, I'll, I'll veer off over here, and I'll be like, why can't they just do what they're supposed to do? Right? I get it. And then if we get like really discouraged, what happens is, is we go ask them why they won't do what they're supposed to do. And then they'll just quit or leave, right? But here what we see happening is the opposite, right? There's this expectation that's set for consistency, for remaining true, for cleaving to the things of Christ, right? But it's set through how he lives, but he doesn't allow the fact that he is a man full of faith and, and that he is living out his life in such a way, he doesn't allow that to cause him to become hardened towards others. Instead, what happens is, is the way that he's living, the consistency in his life, it, it motivates him to encourage others. To encourage others. It is edification. It is building up one another. That doesn't mean that sometimes you don't have to have a conversation and say, hey, man, I'm going to chat with you. Hey, here's, here's what we need out of you. That's, I'm not saying you don't have those. You do. And, and as I told the, the, the folks in Takanah, because they were talking about, hey, what, how, what do we do now when it comes to discipleship? We, we're winning all these people to Jesus. What do we do now, right? Because they are. They're winning people to Jesus left and right. It's crazy. And uh, I said, well, this right here really is what discipleship looks like in the life of the church it's doing life together building one another up encouraging one another like this is it obviously there's going to be bible studies that are part of that and i get all that right but what we do i mean you think about it right i mean think about what we called like we used to call it back in the day discipleship training right what did that mean well it meant you were in a bible study that's what it meant we're training you how to be a disciple by putting a book in front of you, right? I mean, that's what we're doing. And, and that's, a, that's a part of it. Like, you can't miss that. But, like, if you're not doing life together, 
If you're not building one another up, right? If you're not encouraging one another, then you're missing out on what it is that we're called to do. I mean, they call Barnabas the son of encouragement. What I would say is this. Barnabas was probably one of the greatest disciplers in Scripture. You don't believe me? Well, how in the world did Saul, who was stoning Stephen, I know he had a Damascus Road experience. I get that. But that's when he came to know Christ as Lord and Savior. He then had to know what to do. And who's his buddy? Barnabas. Right? Barnabas. So, expect the unexpected. Enlist Christians for work. Encourage the believers. I got two more. Emphasize the Bible. Emphasize the Bible. Verse 20 says, But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch, began speaking to the Greeks also, and I love this, preaching what? The Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus. Verse 26 and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. A church will not be effective. No matter how many programs it has. No matter how good of music it may have. No matter how nice of buildings it may have. No matter how great of a legacy it may have. A church will not be effective if it does not emphasize the Bible, if it does not teach the Word. It must have a high view of the Word. It must recognize that the Scripture is inspired, it is inerrant, and it is an infallible Word of God, and that we cannot compromise on that. The problem is this. The problem is, is that if you look around our city, if you look around our state, if you look around our country, it is no coincidence that those churches many of which who call themselves Baptists, those churches that have compromised the word of God are not doing so well. They're not. And what's also sad is honestly, in a lot of those churches, they will compromise God's word and they won't teach God's word, but man, they would die on a tradition. They will. They will. It, it's, it's honestly, let's, let's be honest about it. It's what makes it so hard. It, listen, it's what makes it so hard in today's context and culture to be a Bible-believing, traditional, when I say traditional, I mean the stylistic kind of way. I'm not talking, I'm talking about just stylistically in general, Baptist church. It's what makes it so hard to be that. Because my generation and below, when they view churches under that title of traditional, we immediately put with it because what we've encountered in our context, oh, that's that liberal church. They've ruined it for us. It's the truth. It's the truth. You think about it. I mean, that's like, that's like real talk. You know, I, 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 I went into my talking to our college student mode for a second. But it is. I mean, I mean, seriously. Like, if we were to go through and you were to think about churches, the Baptist churches in our country today that have been able to kind of hang on to a lot of the traditions that we love, that I love, the churches that have been able to do that today, most of them that have been able to do that effectively have been mega churches. 
They've been megachurches. And again, it's because contextually what the world sees is, is they expect Our minds, they, they ruined it. They ruined it. Now, here's why they ruined it. And this is a danger. Because when we begin to put more of an emphasis on the man-made things than the word of God, many times we will say that we are being conservative. But in reality, what we're doing is not being conservative. Because a church that's effective lifts up high the word of God and recognizes that it is what guides us and leads us and recognizes that it is in here that we find the things that we cannot compromise on. But everything else, if it helps us do ministry better, we can at least have a conversation about. Bible is what everything flows out of. Our opinions won't solve problems. Our man-made traditions won't solve problems. Our styles won't solve problems. They won't. But God's word will. God's word will. God's word will. When someone has a change of heart, someone gains a biblical worldview then it changes who that person is and when you get a group of people that that's the case then they'll run through a brick wall for the name of Jesus they will finally expect the unexpected enlist Christians for the work encourage the believer emphasize the Bible and finally evangelize the lost verse 20 They were speaking to the Greeks also, I read this already, preaching who? The Lord Jesus. Verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And verse 24, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Telling people about Jesus and winning them to Christ and then training them to win others to Christ should be the priority of everything that a church does. That's what a church should be known for. Soul saved equals the fruit of an effective church. It really does. And think about it. Here's what happens. What happens is, is you're fulfilling the Great Commission then, right? What happens is, is that ultimately, you know, like you see those baptism waters full on a Sunday, right? I mean, it creates some energy, doesn't it? It, it does. My dad always says that, 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 uh, that, that baptisms come in waves. He said, they always come in waves, Right? He said, you'll have years where it's down and it's, it feels like it's a struggle. And then all of a sudden you'll have like a few months and it's like, what just happened? Right? You can probably think back to the history of your church and think about that. There's, there's probably times in the history of your church where you're like, man, that was a good wave. You know what I mean? Right? And like, and think about it for just a second. It makes sense though. Because here's what happens. What happens is, is that like, man, somebody comes to know Christ and their life gets changed. And they follow through and they get baptized. And, and so everybody gets a little excited right and then that one person who's sitting there that's like 
I, I know I need to follow Jesus, but I just I haven't had the courage to, to, to just do what I need to do, right? And they see that person get baptized, and like, well, if they can do this, man, I can do this too. And then the next thing you know, like, they're, you know, they're talking to the preacher, they're talking to the Sunday school teacher or whatever, and, and they're giving their heart and life to Jesus, and they're up in the baptism waters. And then, and then what happens is you got this person sitting over here, right? And, and they're like, man, I got this friend of mine, and, and, and I want them to, 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 you know, if something happens to them, I want them to spend eternity in heaven with me as well. And, and so they're like, man, look at this. And so it just it creates this, this kind of domino effect. It really does. Not to mention, the <laughs> we love to mess this up as Baptists, by the way, all right? Because we have like 20,000 rules about how long you have to like have been a Christian to serve. Y'all know what I'm talking about, like, right? Y'all know what I mean, right? But do you know who the most effective soul winners always are? Like people that just got saved. They are, you think about it. Now, I'm not saying somebody walks in the str- off the street and you're like, Go work in the nursery. No, that's not what I'm saying, all right? Y'all know what I mean? Like, protect your children, okay? But what I am saying is this. Like, so, I mean, you got somebody's coming, and you got a friend that shared the, their, their, their fa- the gospel with someone, they give their life to Christ, and they put their faith and trust in Jesus. I mean, don't, don't be afraid to, to mobilize that person. Don't be afraid to mobilize that person. Uh, there's, there's a guy um, out in California uh, his name is Paul Wooster, and uh, Paul is at Chico State out in California. He's a campus minister. He also pastors a, a campus church out there, and uh, he's, he's just recently been hired by the North American Mission Board to uh, work with collegiate ministry and evangelism in that area. And uh, he works, I guess technically, he works for Johnny Hunt, I think is how it works, right? And so uh, Paul's an awesome guy. He's a unique guy. He's like a surfer and all this kind of stuff, but he's, he's a cool guy. And, uh, and, and, and Paul was telling us, he's like, it is my goal that when we have a student that comes to know Christ as Lord and Savior, he's like, within six months, we want them in a leadership position. What? And then it made sense what he said. He goes, what do you think about it? Who's most on fire for Jesus? You know what I mean? Right? Makes you think, doesn't it? Now you better disciple them. You better have somebody going alongside them. You better have a Barnabas to that Saul, you know, right? You better. But if you want to evangelize the lost, you get somebody that's just gotten saved and you 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 send them out, man, and I'll tell you what, they'll win a whole neighborhood to Jesus. And it's nuts. It's nuts. And you know, here's the thing. David Mills said that when he was at a church down in, in, in Alabama, um, and, and I know he's telling the truth because my dad was pastoring a church like five miles from him. David's a pastor over at, at Beach Haven. He always tells the story about how that he had one guy get saved in that church. He said like, you know, it was kind of a honeymoon period, first, you know, six months or whatever. When he first got to the church, it was Ladonia Baptist. And uh, he said, but then it's kind of like, okay, settle down. Here we go. You know, I know how that works with preachers, right? And so then, then he said he got this one guy, this one guy came to know Christ. One dude. And he said, all of a sudden, it was like the whole church flipped. He's like, what just happened? Right? Like he said, they start having people get saved, like, you know, every every week, like literally. And they, then that, that next year they baptized more than they baptized in the history of church. And he was like, It wasn't anything I did. He's like, the right guy just got saved. He, he said, We just found our saw. He said, God did the rest. So I say that to say, 
here's the deal. Share the gospel. The context of this community may have changed, but the gospel hasn't. It hasn't. And if you share the gospel with enough people, what happens is, is you'll find your salt. You'll find your salt. So the keys to an effective church, it's really not that hard. We make it really hard. And we got processes and stuff we have to go through because we're Baptist churches, I get it, that do make it that hard sometimes. I get that. I'm not saying it's not. I promise you. However, let's prioritize what the priorities need to be. Let's expect the unexpected. Let's enlist Christians for work. Let's encourage the believers. Don't just enlist them and say, go get them. Don't just see them come to know Christ and say, go get them, have fun. Let's emphasize the Bible. Let's make the Bible the priority of everything that we do. Let's evangelize the lost. Why? Because Jesus died for us. Why? Because he rose three days later. And what that tells me is this, is that ultimately at the end of the day, I was doomed for hell. But Jesus made a way for me to spend eternity with him in heaven. And that in itself is enough to motivate me to do something else. That in itself is enough to motivate me to evaluate what my view of the church is compared to the early church. And say, what's priorities, what's not, what can we do, what can't we do, etc. And then secondly, here's the reality of it. Because Jesus had the power to overcome sin and death in the grave, guess what? He's got the power to perform miracles today all over this world. All over this world. And selfishly, as the campus minister at the BCM, we need strong churches. <laughs> we do. And my prayer is this is that you guys, as you go through this transition, as you're seeking out your next man here, as you're seeking to do what God wants you to do in many different ways and areas as a church, my prayer is that you will become the church God called you to be, that you'll be effective in ministry within the context that God has placed you, and that you'll hold things with an open hand, hold tight to these priorities, Hold tight to these things you need to emphasize. And that you will hold other things with an open hand. And that you will allow God to use you and to work through you to make a difference in this community. Because God knows it needs it. It needs it. I want to pray for you today. Lord, I thank you so much for Forest Heights. I thank you, Lord, that they have the desire of going through this process of figuring out, Lord, who you want to be the next pastor here and of what you want them to be as a church. And God, I ask you that, Lord, you will help Forest Heights to expect the unexpected, to enlist each other for work, to encourage one another, to always have a high view and emphasize scripture and to evangelize the lost. And Lord, I know that Lord, they will do those things where they can leave the rest for you. So Lord, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray.